Hello and welcome to another New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer here at NMA. And this week, I'm extremely happy and relieved to say that the man who has braved the snow and is now sitting next to me is none other than political legend Ian Anderson, who is a Westminster legend. Everyone knows him. He should be in every journalist's contact book. He is executive chairman of communications firm Cicero, who are based here in London. Ian, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm really good. I'm very glad you described me as a legend, not an expert, Ollie, as well. That's kind of helpful because he, he can't describe anybody as an expert these days. No one is an expert these days. And as we know from the Brexit referendum, uh, you know, people hate elites. So that's one to stray away from, isn't it? Well, I, I um, was once accused or asked as whether or not I was part of the establishment. So I'd never want to be part of the establishment. So um, legend is fine. I'll avoid asking about the establishment. Um, as you know, we start each podcast with a game of who's hot and who's not. So we obviously wanted to ask you, being a political legend, who is hot and who is not right now in Westminster? Ian? So really interesting that if you look, I think if you look at the cabinet right now, uh, Gove, uh, the guy who kind of uh, was reenacting, I think, a few episodes of Macbeth in the summer of 2016, sort of knifing Boris in the back, in the front, in any way you want, uh, alongside Lady Macbeth, um, his co-conspirator. Um, uh, th that's Mrs. Gove. Um, his, his star has really, 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 really shot up. He's seen as the guy who's getting on with a big agenda uh, kind of around rural, rural affairs, a big agenda about plastic cups. Sorry, I brought one with me today. Um, uh, and actually gone really, really quickly from being the sort of zero guy to the hero on, on the Tory benches. Really, really interesting how he's come through. Um, Gavin Williamson, uh, the quiet man uh, wielding maybe more other kinds of daggers as uh, Tory uh, chief whip, suddenly finds himself as uh, defence secretary and lots and lots of people talking about him as a potential future uh, Tory leader. Uh, you know, you might think, Gavin, who? Uh, but people said the same thing about John Major, didn't they? He came suddenly from nowhere as the preferred guy um, by putting him into that frontline role as Defence Secretary, um, Theresa May has given him quite um, a serious nod. Um, for Labour, uh, well, Corbyn's still there. Uh, he's still very <laughs> obvious. He's still got those uh, enormous, uh, enormous social uh, following, um, which I think is uh, amazing. McDonald continues to kind of power away. Um, some, some of the more sort of less obvious you know, kind of front of house people for, for I think, maybe man, many people listening to this. Emily Thornbury on the Labour side, again, written off uh, yeah. three or four years ago, yeah. has, I mean, she's being fielded by Labour again and again and again. And, and one person for me that is incredibly impressive, now chairing the Treasury Select Committee, uh, in fact, she's coming to speak at an, an event I'm chairing next week, which um, you must come to, and you know, listeners, sort of, you know, be able to see what we're we're going to do on on Twitter as a result of that. But that is Nikki Morgan, mm. um, perhaps someone who's better chairing the select committee, maybe than she was round the round the cabinet table, yeah. but certainly has found her voice. Mm, I agree. I totally agree. She really didn't have a good time in hindsight at the uh, Department for Education, did she? And now she seems to have come much more into her own, and to be enjoying that kind of loyally solicitor-like exposition of all these 
issues that the Treasury Select Committee has to deal with. Um, who's not hot at the moment? Who's having a bad time, Ian? Well, quite a few people are having a bad time. Sure, yeah. um, I mean, the Prime Minister's not having the best time. Um, but it's a, you know, it's an impossible ask. He's trying to bind together the Conservative Party, the Conservative Coalition, on an issue where they're quite divided. Um, that that's quite hard. She's having to deliver Brexit in a country that's quite divided, and trying to kind of square the circle of cake eating opportunities. And that's that that really is hard. But the thing that is true about Theresa May is she. Well, she's a survivor. I mean, she really is surviving um, dreadful headlines. Mm. Uh, you know, Labour right now issued by any traditional analysis, if traditional analysis works anymore, Labour should be 12 to 15 points ahead, as Neil Kinnock was. Yeah back in the early 90s against uh, John Major. We're know. all right. Uh, we're all right, we're all right, and all, and all of that, but it's just not happening. I think that's, you know, that begs huge kind of questions for Labour. So, you know, the, the, the Prime Minister kind of um, out in front having a difficult, I don't think Boris is having a good time no, either. Boris is not, Bo Boris is literally all over the place, yes. trying to find his voice. And, and the thing that, of course, he's trying to do uh, in the midst of all this sort of speechifying and, proselytising generally, is appeal to the Tory grassroots. Mm. Because still, the Tory kind of grassroots, I think, would find him um, um, quite attractive. I'm not sure, though, if there was to be a Tory leadership election, whether or not Conservative MPs themselves will let him out of the traps. Remember, they have to allow yeah. two of them out of the traps um, in order to go to the country. So I don't, I don't think Boris, um, unlike Gove, that we talked about earlier, um, is having um, a great time. On the left, um, Tom Watson. Uh, okay, that's an interesting Kind of one. looking really a bit sort of, where's my home? What's my constituency? Um, he's a, become a bit invisible. I mean, so, somebody that was very, very, very visible. He's upped his game, interestingly, since the start of the year. But but Tom Watson is is just a bit invisible, um, I, I think, on the, on the Labour side right now. So maybe not having quite such a good time. We'll move on to the main uh, rump of our podcast today. Um, we all know that, as we've said, there's a lot of political uncertainty at the moment. Uh, but as Benjamin Franklin is once alleged to have said, uh, in this world nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Uh, leaving the first one aside for a second, uh, tax planning and financial advice uh, following on from that are going to be key regardless of what happens in the, in the coming months and years. So I wanted to ask you, what could be on the horizon with regards to tax? Um, and do you hear any murmurings from Westminster or the Treasury on potential tax plans, Ian? So, I mean, the big problem about moving any policy forward right now mm -hmm. is Brexit. It's, it's all consuming. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of the talent that's in government uh, has been sucked into DEXU, the department for exiting the EU, the department led by David Davis. Um, so Whitehall and Westminster are not actually able to get on with lots of issues that in a normal state they'd be getting on with. Now, I got asked a very similar question earlier in the week. I was speaking at the 
TUC pensions conference, which is always interesting for an old Tory like me to go and talk to. But actually, I think it kind of rather, you know, demonstrates the politics of, of where we are right now. So I was getting very, very similar questions from pension trustees in the room. Mm. Is anything going to happen on high rate relief? Mm. Are they, you know, what are they going to do next on, on um, freedom and choice? And you know, my answer to them is the answer I'm going to give kind of you and listeners today, which is probably not very much. Mm. Not least when you've got um, the Chancellor and Boris locked in mortal combat at Chequers and you know, really, really fighting for the Brexit questions. Fundamental tax reform um, and pensions tax relief, let's just carry on with that idea, sure. pensions tax relief would be a pretty fundamental tax reform, particularly with Conservative supporters. Um, that might just be hard to do. But, and here's the but, you and I know, and everybody listening to this knows, that there's a big fat folder sitting in Treasury uh, on tax reform mm. for pensions that was done for George Osborne. Mm. Um, you and I know, everybody listening to this knows, uh, that if it wasn't for the Daily Mail, we might have seen George Osborne be bolder back in 2014 and actually scrap high rate relief. So all the work's been done. If you were to pull a ready-made policy out of the drawer, which said a country that works for everybody, not just those at the top, I think that's what the prime minister wants to say. Yeah. Pensions, removing high rate relief and creating a single tax band, i.e. You, you, know, you lift young folks up, you lift uh, poorer folks up in terms of saving for retirement, that could be a very, very, very eye-catching policy at this moment. Problem, uh, the problem remains uh, the bandwidth, but it might provide the Tories with some kind of mechanism to fight back against Corbyn. Um, it might provide, it still might be that rabbit coming out of a fiscal hat um, uh, to do that. However, you and I are having this conversation in advance of what we understand to be a very, very, very slimmed down uh, spring statement. Sure, yeah. Hammond only wants this to literally just be to talk about the macroeconomic numbers. Um, so I think uh, uh, serious fiscal reform in the cycle that we would usually be talking about round about March is probably off the table right now. Mm. And what of Corbyn? You mentioned Corbyn. I mean, the, the Tories have always tried to paint Labour as the party of higher taxes and a greater state intervention. Um, I sense that the you know the vast majority of Middle Britain voters are, are going to be scared by potential Labour tax policy. What's your feeling about that? Is there anything that Labour can do to uh, to soften that potential blow? Do you think? Well, what's Corbyn said so far? Um, Corbyn has said that they would hike corporation tax mm. to 26%. Uh, um, now, that, that's essentially going after Big Co. Um, mm. And 
um, you know, whilst you know, Major and Thatcher and Blair never actually got corporation tax below that level, it's significantly higher, about five points higher than where we are at the moment. So um, the Tories would be able to paint that quite, you know, as, as a very, very significant tax on, on enterprise. Um, and, you know, Comrade McDonald may be coming after you too um, if you're on a higher rate. And, you know, the idea would be that higher rate would start at, I think they're looking at a level of about 120,000, which again um, um, uh, would, would uh, um, you know, kick in at a 50% level. So, you know, you know, quite significantly boosting um, the, the higher rate piece too. The, the, the front and centre thing, though, I think for um, uh, advisors right now is the what Labour might do with what they call a financial uh, transactions tax. So Labour pre-Corbyn was very much in the place, yeah, well, we we'd, philosophically we might be committed to a financial transactions tax, but we're only going to do that on a international basis. We're only going to convince people at the FSB level, uh, convince folks in the, uh, in the States, convince folks at the EU level to make that happen. Labour's now abandoned that idea, and Labour has said that it will only, uh, it, it will implement a unilaterally a financial transaction tax. What would that financial transaction tax be? It would essentially be significantly upping the rate of stamp duty. Yep. Mm. And applying stamp duty uh, across a whole range of wider transactions that it doesn't currently apply to. So you can see how you know, the mutual fund world is going to get caught much more by that. You can see how venture um, capital, in, uh, venture capital trust investing is going to get uh, caught by that. So it's, it's, it's really that measure to boost what Labour calls an FTT, most people listening to this would understand as stamp duty uh, that would have quite a significant effect on the, on the financial services conversation. Is there a chance, and this is a very sort of hypothetical question, that we could have a 1945 style moment with Brexit and Corbyn, where actually say Brexit kind of works out, there's a deal, uh, and the nuclear apocalypse doesn't happen, the Mad Max vision uh, doesn't occur. And uh, that's kind of sorted out, uh, I guess. And what happens is the voters choose Corbyn because what's happened is Theresa May has won the war, but they choose someone else to win the peace, so to speak. Is there any chance of that happening, do you think? So when I talk to uh, Labour and when I talk to Labour, colleagues, the thing that they're most anxious about is time. Um, in terms of the election cycle. In terms of the election cycle. Yeah. So, 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 so um, what everybody has to remember is that this government's hold on power is precarious. Mm -hmm. You know, one of those people I mentioned earlier, uh, Nikki Morgan, you know, she's on the front page of the newspapers as one of the Tory rebels. Mm. Um, now, we're about to hear from the Prime Minister at the end of this week. She's going to get her snow boots on and deliver a speech on um, the kind of deal that she wants to see. But the European Commission has just lobbed a huge bomb into that 
conversation in terms of British politics by the stance that they've just taken if there is to be no deal. And I mean, I'm not very surprised by that because candidly, Britain, Britain's voted to leave. All that the EU is doing is saying, we're going to, if you go, um, uh, then you're going to revert to being a third country. Mm. And lots and lots of, as a result of that, lots and lots of kind of uh, financial services providers, and in fact, we as Cicero are just rewiring like mad, almost beyond the politics. But what, what if um, uh, the, the Prime Minister's speech at the end of the week doesn't land? What if the Tory rebels carry on with their plan, the table an amendment in the trade bill, and I think we've got to expect the trade bill getting delayed and delayed and delayed, maybe to late April, maybe in, into May, to really? see whether or not the Conservative whips can keep it can reduce those number of rebels as much as possible. But the number we've got to look out for is whether or not 15 to 20 Conservative MPs are prepared to back the current stance of Nicky Morgan, Dominic Grieve and Anna Soubry and Ken Clark and all of those so-called rebels now. Because if they vote for uh, the amendment uh, to ensure that in the trade bill, Britain remains part of a customs union, a customs union, that could blow apart what Theresa May wants to talk about at the end of this week, which is actually continuing with the idea that we're not part of a customs union, that we're not part of the single market. So the denouement for this government may actually come in April and May if the government was to lose on the customs union vote, having declared that it doesn't want to be part of a customs union, Labour will fairly quickly go for a vote of confidence motion in the government. Mm. Now, it's, it's pretty likely that the rebels would come in from the cold and back a conservative government rather than creating the conditions for an early election. Yeah. But I can't tell you what the Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland would do in that vote, Absolutely. particularly if they're getting concerned that um, the Northern Ireland uh, border is not going to be a Northern Ireland border. There's actually going to be a border down the Irish Sea rather than between the, uh, yeah. Northern Ireland and, uh, Annexation. and the rest. Of it. It, it, exactly right. So the denouement, as I say, the, the, the crunch moment may, may come very early and we may be getting into, if certainly not by then, maybe in the autumn when there's a final deal, if there's a final deal in Europe, Labour want to create the conditions for an early election. I go back to what we talked about earlier, though. The current polling numbers show that Labour is neck and neck with the Conservatives broadly. Whether or not you and I believe opinion polls anymore is a completely different question. I don't believe those polls. And if if the polls are neck and neck, I, I you know I I think Labour believe though that they they have the chance to sort of turn around and say the deal that the government has negotiated is a bad deal. In fact, it's not a good deal. We, we've said customs union membership. Um, or some form of customs union um, arrangement. We now need to have a general election. And then you really are throwing the dice. Yeah.
Yeah, and then all is to play for. All is to play for. And I think Corbyn can only maintain that momentum himself for so long. Momentum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, literally, there's a reason the thing is called momentum. Yes. Mm. And time is running out. Time, I think, is starting to run out for Corbyn in that regard. Almost for us, too. I think just finally, we'll just take a look at social media. Uh, I spotted a lovely set of tributes to the political cartoonist, uh, Matt, not as political, you know, cartoonist of life. Um, I love these cartoons. Um, some of them are brilliant. Um, I've put a few on the sheets that we have in front of us. Uh, in particular, a very topical one that has two kids welcoming their father home from work. He's carrying a briefcase that says South Eastern Trains on it. And the kids say, Daddy, can we cancel a toboggan ride due to adverse weather? And you know, these cartoons are brilliant. They reflect life and they reflect the absurdity of life. Do you have any sort of favourite Matt cartoons or political cartoons, Ian? Well, I'm a huge Gerald Scarf fan. In fact, um, I geek out on, in my quieter moments, on uh, uh, back editions of, uh, of Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. I think that they were talking about Europe and Britain's relationship with Europe 30 years ago. That stuff still works. And it, I, I, in my office, I've got an original Gerald Scarf print. So uh, wow. it's, a, it's a picture of um, um, uh, Margaret Thatcher holding the infant uh, William Hague and Ken Clock, the guy I used to work with, cowering in the corner. It kind of, uh, it means a lot to me. But Scarf, I think, is still uh, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant cartoonist. I, I, I kind of love Matt as... Um, as well, and I mean the whole Twitter sphere too, though, has completely changed uh, the nature of this kind of conversation as well. I mean, I, you know, I, I will happily and quickly read Jim Waterston uh, and BuzzFeed. Um, so, sometimes before I'll go and you know look at what um, Laura Koonsberg and, and Robert Peston are up to. Yeah. That said, I think both Laura and Robert remain absolute kind of must follows. Um, uh, on on Twitter uh, as well, so uh, that that whole that whole world that was just kind of confined to um, the cartoonists poking fun. I mean, right the way back to Gilray, my goodness, to to to, to really poke away in political um, history here too. That that whole world has been changed massively uh, uh, by digital, um, and um, uh, actually to keep up the tempo of of modern politics. I think you have to have that sense of who are your kind of favorite, favorite political tweeters um, just as much as those um, brilliant cartoonists as well. Brilliant. Well, that's just about all, the, all that we've got time for, I'm afraid. Um, thanks so much, Ian, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. Um, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or indeed on your favorite podcast app. Um, join us again for more podcast fun next week. Thanks and goodbye.